0: Good morning everyone. Um, We had some technical difficulties this past Sunday and weren't able to record our uh, lesson live. And so I'm going to take some time here uh, on Monday morning and and, uh, record it and post it um, for you. Um, Of course we're back to the parables and if you've got your Bibles with you and you'd like to follow along you can turn to Luke chapter 16. And we will be in verses one through thirteen, and we're looking at the parable of the dishonest manager. The parable of the dishonest manager. That's Luke chapter sixteen, verses one through thirteen. Now we've we've spoken several times uh, about how many parables there are, um, and and best estimates is there's somewhere around forty odd parables given to us by Jesus, there's different amounts because some people might say, well, that's a parable, but that's not, right? I mean, not everything, not all of them start with, he gave them a parable. And so there's there's a little bit of uh, uh, disagreement, but there's somewhere around 40. And I bring that up because it may surprise you to learn that about one third of those, one out of every three, deals with money um uh, it may also deal with wealth and possessions but at the end of the day it deals with money and many people might find that um uh, might find that maybe surprising um but we really shouldn't i mean after all what could be more common uh, a subject than than money um it's a it's such a huge part of our life we think we we spend a lot of time thinking about it um how to earn it how to spend it how to save it uh how to invest it how to borrow it uh whether to give it whether to loan it i mean it's a it's a big part of our uh it's a big part of our life but of all of jesus's teachings about money and out of all of his parables today's parable is probably his most controversial. Now, there's a couple things that, that make it that way. First of all, it is a story where all the characters are, for the most part, bad. Um, you know, some of his parables have a bad guy in it, um, but it's got a good guy in it. But this one's not like that. This one is pretty much all the all the different characters are relatively bad to one degree or another. Now, that in itself is not necessarily uh, controversial. Uh, after all, bad people are are, are a part of of, of life. Um, you know, it's not surprising that Jesus was would use characters like dishonest managers and unjust judges, because you know, as I said, that's just that's just common. What what really bothers people in this particular parable? is that jesus seems to commend or praise the bad guys actions now that if that's true that's that would be controversial cuz cuz when does jesus praise or commend uh evil he 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 never does that so before we walk into this story and begin to look at it, I want to remind everyone once again about the purpose of, of parables because I think that's that's important here. We've said this several times, so this is nothing new in our study, but parables are designed to teach us about the kingdom of God. Every single parable, there is no, there's no exception, every single parable Teaches us something about the Kingdom of God. now you cannot take one parable and paint a complete picture uh, of the Kingdom of God. You can't take one parable and build a theology off of it because each parable may teach a different lesson about the Kingdom of God. I prefer to think of it as like a jigsaw puzzle where each parable is a piece of the puzzle you know the the uh, the parable uh, of the treasure when jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a a treasure and a man walking through a field finds it and goes and sells all that he has to buy it you know what that's teaching us is the value of the kingdom of god it's not teaching other lessons about it it's just teaching us how valuable it is that that it's worth everything to obtain it, well, other parables are like that as well. they teach other lessons. so this parable today is is about the kingdom of God that there's no doubt about that. Secondly, parables are designed to reveal truth to believers. okay so that if you're a believer and you're listening to this, this parable is desi- is designed to reveal a truth to you. So both of these should alert us to the fact that Jesus is not telling this story and and he's not exhorting us in this story to emulate the behavior of the characters because we know off right off the bat the we char- we've already said the the the, char- the, uh, uh, the 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 behavior of the characters is bad so we know he's not that's not the point at all of what he's what he's trying to do somehow this this strange story of bad people doing bad things is going to reveal to us a truth about the kingdom of God and in other words there's a larger principle at play here and so we need to know that going on um, so we look past the char- the the behavior of the characters and we look to see what is this larger principle that Jesus is trying to to teach us so let's uh, start in verse 1 again if you've got your Bibles you can follow along we'll start in luke 16 and verse 1 and he also said to the disciples there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions now in this parable we once again have a have a rich man uh, and this uh, the rich men show up in several of the parables. And he's rich enough that he has hired a manager and put this man in charge of of the assets of his operation. In other words, this man is delegated the authority to act on behalf of the owner in all of his business dealings. Now, we don't really know, you know, what kind of operation he had. Did he have a vineyard? Did he have a ranch? Did he have a farm and a state? But nevertheless, if he did, this man would have been in charge. This manager would have been in charge of his land and his crops. He would have dispersed the resources, the food, the seed, the salt, whatever the servants needed uh, to plant the crops, or to to prune the vineyard, or to you know to feed and water the animals, or to to put up the food, whatever the people needed. Uh, in this particular enterprise, he was responsible for delegating all that, and he also managed the owner's money. Remember, this is a wealthy man, and as we we'll, as we go through the uh, parable, we'll find out that he owed uh, that many people owed him large sums of money, and the manager handled all of that as well. So he had a lot of responsibility. Now, it turns out. that this manager wasn't very good at his job. So it's not, now at this point, he's not stealing. He's not embezzling. um, It's not, he's not even dishonest. uh, He's not a thief. uh, He's just incompetent. He's just not very good at managing, uh, As not as efficient at managing this man's money as the owner would like. So it's brought to the owner's attention that this manager is wasteful, so again it just it's, it it just turns out that he's not very good, he's just incompetent, and so he's basically fired and he's let go from his position now he doesn't he's not fired immediately, okay uh, he has a period of time uh before he's let go Let's look at verse two to see that. And he, talking about the rich man, called the manager and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Now, the company that I work for today, uh, if they fire you, you are let go immediately. There is no grace period. There's no exit interview. There, there's nothing like that. Um, but in this case, it didn't work like that. This He tells him, he says, look... To, you need to turn in the account of your management. Go get your books. Go get your accounting books where you've written all the stuff down. Bring it to me. So maybe it would be a day. Maybe it would be at the end of the week, and come and and let's make a final accounting because you can no longer be be manager. So uh, again, as part of this his termination, he's got to turn in these accounting books. He's got to give one final accounting of all that he's that he has done. So let's look at verse 3. And the manager said to himself, well what am I going to do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. Now you can see in this verse this guy is in a pickle. Uh, Not only is he losing his job but he's also going to lose his home you see in that day when you would when you were in a management position or you were a servant you would have lived on the estate where you where you worked so again he's not just losing his job he's losing his home so in addition he's losing his income and and just going out and getting another manager's job is is not going to happen i mean even though there's no social media in that day uh, there's no, there's nothing like LinkedIn or anything like that. Everybody's going to know what happened just through word of mouth. Um, you know, this wealthy man, I'm sure, was well known, and when his manager is fired, people are going to know that he was fired for being incompetent. So it's going to be very, very difficult for him to go out and get another job. So you can see him begin to think through this process, and the first thing he thinks about is getting. Uh, maybe a a, a job doing manual labor, a blue-collar job. But he is making, he makes an honest assessment of himself, and he realizes that he's just not physically cut out for those types of jobs. And and his statement is, "I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig. And he briefly considers begging, but he also knows that he's too proud to do that. He says, I'm, I'm too ashamed to beg. I, I, there's no way I can do that. So as he's going through the process, he realizes nobody's going to hire him because he's been deemed incompetent uh, as a manager. Um, he's, he's, he's not cut out for manual labor. He's too proud to beg. So what's he going to do? Now, it's at this point that he's thinking through this process that he has kind of a, a eureka moment Uh, He comes up with an idea. You see, he knows that the only chance he has to survive is to be welcomed into someone's home, either as a servant, as a manager. But again, nobody's going to do that because he's been realized how incompetent and wasteful he is. So he knows everybody knows that. So he realizes the only way that people will give him a job. The only way that he'll be welcomed into people's home is if they are indebted to him in some way. In other words, if they owe him in some way. So this is what he does. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. He says, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. Now, you can see here, this is his plan. He contacts all the people who owe his master money. And he discounts their debts, see that way they'll be in debt to him. He's given them a deal while he's while he's got this period of time before he has to turn in his books before everybody finds out that he's not no longer manager. He's got a very short window, and so what he does he discounts these debts and he puts these men in debt to him. Now you have to admit it's dishonest. It's deceptive, but it's also a very clever move. Now, you'll also notice the men that are paying the debts, they don't ask any questions. They're not up front and saying, Wait, 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 wait a minute. You know, why are you doing this? Is this is this okay with your master? They don't ask any questions. They're not they're not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth. Right, that they, they, you know, they, they're going to sign and get out of there quickly because this is a deal they never could have hoped for. So they're not being upfront and righteous and honest men. Okay, they they've joined into the deception. They're they're doing what's best for them. So their their actions aren't aren't any good. Now, this guy started out. This manager started out as as just an incompetent manager. But what he's doing now, he has no right to do, okay? He has no right to do this. So at this point, he's moved into dishonesty. This is where he becomes the dishonest manager. This is where he's moved now into fraud and deception. Now, I mentioned earlier that this is a controversial um, parable. Now, again it's not so controversial up to this point. You know, everybody that everybody's bad, but, you know, that's that's kind of that's that's normal out in the world. So what makes it controversial? Well, what makes it controversial is verse 8. Let's look ahead. Verse 8 says this, "The master, when he heard about it, commended the dishonest manager." You see, here's where the controversy arises because you would expect that the master would come along and say, "Well, you unworthy servant, cast him into outer darkness. We've, we've seen that, uh, for example, in the parable of the talents when you had a, uh, the, the, the man with the one talent that didn't do anything with it. He was cast into outer darkness. You would expect that to happen here, but it does not. The master commends or praises the dishonest manager. But I, I want you to notice very, very carefully what he is praised for. It says he commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness or for his cleverness. You see, he's not praising him for his incompetence or his wastefulness. He's not praising him for his dishonesty or his deception. He's not praising him for any of those. He's praising him because he acted shrewdly. And that word means astutely or sharp, smart, clever. Okay, Now, at this point, Jesus begins to make several comments on this parable. Now, this is unusual because normally Jesus might make one comment to kind of wrap up a parable. Sometimes he doesn't make them at all. He just lets the parable speak for itself. But in today's parable, he's actually going to make several comments about money. And so I think it's, it's very important that we take time to, to look at these. We'll start in verse 8 and read the whole verse. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And now this is Jesus stepping out of the parable, and he's ex- doing some explaining. And he says this, For or because, why did, he, why did he commend him for his shrewdness? Because the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, the first thing he does is he divides people here into two groups: the sons of light and the sons of um, sons of light and the sons of this world. Now, the sons of this world, Jesus here, of course, is, is talking about unbelievers, and he's saying this is how unbelievers operate sinful people act to secure their own future benefit and they do it in very shrewd and clever ways sometimes they do it honestly sometimes they do it dishonestly but unbelievers use the resources they have to secure the best future for themselves that they can think about the the manager in our parable he came up with a with a clever scheme he had a short window of time, and he took advantage of that opportunity. He worked the situation to his own benefit. See, that's what the sons of this world do. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying. And by the way, that's still true today. People today are they are going to come up with ways and schemes to secure their future here in this world. It can be illegal things, it can be Ponzi schemes, or it might be something like buying a lottery ticket or driving over to Biloxi and playing a slot machine. It might be getting a stock tip, whatever. But they're looking for ways to secure their future here in this world. That's the sons of the world. But then Jesus says there's another group called the sons of light. Now, the sons of light, of course, this is, this is the children of the kingdom of heaven. This is, these are believers. These are people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And, and this is an odd thing. Jesus is saying that unbelievers are wiser in the things of this world than believers are about the things of the world to come. Okay, let me me say that again, because this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying that unbelievers are wiser in the things of the world than believers are about the things of the world to come. Now, what does he he mean by that? If we we try to dig down and get into the detail, what does he mean by that? Well, he tells us in the very next verse. Let's look at verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Alright, I want to read that again because this is a difficult verse to understand when you first read it. And I tell you, this is Jesus explaining, and he's talking to us, he's talking to believers, he's talking to his disciples. I tell you, Make friends for yourselves using money. That's what he means, by means of unrighteous wealth. Make friends for yourself using money. So that when it fails, not if it fails, but when it fails, they, those friends that you make, may receive you into eternal, not temporary, but eternal dwellings. Now, when we first read this, one of the things that seems to strike us maybe the wrong way, is that phrase, unrighteous wealth. Now, that phrase can mean several things, but one thing we know it doesn't mean, Jesus is not saying that believers should gain wealth in an unrighteous way. He's not telling us that. He's not saying you should go out and commit fraud or be deceptive or steal or embezzle. He's not saying anything. That's, Of course, that's not what he means at all. Unrighteous, as we said, when it refers to wealth, can refer to a few things. but in this parable, the best definition is this: Unrighteous wealth refers to the corrupting influence that wealth can have this is This is laid out most in the best way by Paul in his letter to Timothy first uh, Timothy chapter six, verses six through ten, and he talks about money, and he says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. with many pains you see money itself is not good or bad it's no different than the chair that i'm i'm sitting in i can sit in this chair and use it to support me and make me comfortable and it's a good thing i could i could pick up this chair and hit somebody over the head with it and it would could be a bad thing it's not it's not the object itself that's all money is it's 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 the love of money it's how you use money you see, you can have a whole lot of it and not love it, and you can have none of it or very little of it and love it like crazy. It has nothing to do with the uh, amount. Money itself um, is not good or bad. It's always, always about the heart. What does the heart feel about money? Does it love it? Does it crave it? Now I want you to think f- for a moment about the manager. He used money He used the wealth of this world to make friends here in this world who could secure his temporary future in this world. Let me say it again. He used money to make friends who could secure his temporary future. See, that's what unbelievers have always done, and that's what unbelievers will always do. See, their priority is their future in this world. Am I going to have enough for retirement? Am I going to have enough to buy a bigger house? Have I can I get enough more money to buy a better car, another boat, more more of this, more of that? It's all about it's it's all all about using money to secure a temporary future. Now, listen to what Jesus says to us. You need to be as clever or even more clever than they are. You need the, the, the world uses clever schemes to secure a temporary future, you need to be as clever as they are. Now, this is an old rabbinic approach to teaching. It's called reasoning from the lesser to the greater. If the world does this, then you should do this, right? If the, if the world acts in this way, you should be greater than the world. It's it's called reasoning from the lesser to the greater. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying if the world is clever with how they spend their money to secure a temporary future, you should be more clever than they are. Listen, if the perverted, wicked, fallen sons of this age use money, know how to use money to secure a temporary future, shouldn't the sons of light be just as clever in how they use money to secure an eternal future? See, that's the whole point of this of this parable. See, money and, and possessions, un, what, what, what the parable calls unrighteous wealth, they're just part of this world system, but it's temporary. Money's temporary. At some point, it's no longer going to do you any good. It will fail. That's what he said in the parable. Not if it fails. It it will fail. There's at some point when you're going to die. And when you die, money, it it can't do anything for you. You cannot take it with you. We all understand that. But what Jesus is telling us is that while we are here in this world, we should use that money. We should use that unrighteous wealth in a way that that will not make friends who can put us up in houses for just a little while until we die. He's saying, no, use that money in a way that you'll make friends who will receive you into eternal dwellings. Make friends in heaven who will be standing at the gate welcoming you when you arrive. Now, how do we do that? How do you make friends in in heaven with your money? Well, let let me... go back to our parables for just a second. I mentioned earlier that every parable, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, right? So maybe this parable doesn't go into detail about how to make those eternal friends, but other parables, they might. And in fact, one of them does a very good job at it. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. Listen to this parable. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, man, what am I going to do? Now, there's that same question. The manager said, what am I going to do? This rich man here, he has all this extra stuff, all this extra wheat and oil and and wine and whatever his land produced, and he says to himself, what am I going to do, for I don't have anywhere to store my crops? And then he said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger ones. And then I'm going to store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now see, there you go. That's what the world does. I've got all this extra stuff. i got all this extra money. What am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to invest it. In, I'm going to put it in a bank. I'm going to put it in a mutual fund. I'm going to and I'm going to store it up and 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 now I can say to myself and and you're set for life. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. See that's what that's what money can do. It it can assure you a temporary future. But see the Bible also says and and by the way in the world's view that's a very wise use of your money. But the Bible says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. In verse 20 of that parable, God says to him, Fool this night, your soul is required of you, and the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? Now listen to this. So is the one who lays treasure up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, in that parable, we see once again what the sons of this age do with money. They use it to secure a temporary future, and it can do that. It does a very good job of that, but only until they die, and then it fails because you cannot take it with you. It does no good in eternity. It belongs to the temporary world, and yet in this most amazing and gracious and merciful manner, the Lord is revealing to us a truth in this parable. He's saying, look, guys, look, look, children of light, you can take this temporary wealth that's just here for a little while, That you that's not going anywhere with you. And while you're here in this temporary world, you can use that wealth to make friends that will welcome you into heaven. Now, once again, what's he talking about? How do we do that? Well, he just said it in that other parable. You can make sure that you're rich toward God. You can lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do that by giving to the kingdom. You invest in those who teach and preach the gospel, both here and abroad. You use it to buy food and clothing and shelter for those less fortunate. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you shall in no wise lose your reward. You give to the kingdom. You invest in the kingdom. You see, that shrewd manager spent money because he was concerned about where he would live for the rest of his days on earth. Our concern as children of God should be to use money even more cleverly with an eye on where we will live for the rest of eternity. You see, now that is the parable and that is the application. But Jesus is still not finished. He has several more comments that he wants to make about money. Verse 10, he says, One who is faithful in very little is also going to be faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. You see, here Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. For those of us who would say, You know, if I just had more, I'd give more. No, we wouldn't. No, we wouldn't. See, what Jesus is saying is faithfulness in giving is never about the amount. It's always about the heart. If you're faithful in just a little, you'll be faithful in a lot. If you're dishonest in little, you'll be dishonest in a lot. It has nothing to do with little and lot. It has nothing to do with with the amount. It has to do with your with your heart. And as believers, what we're doing with our money shows what's in our heart. You see, in the past few weeks, we've covered the parable of the talents, um, and we've talked the parable of the unworthy servant, and we've talked about how works matter, okay? Um, because we we found out that our works corroborate our faith. James says, faith without works is dead. James says, you say you have faith. He says, show it to me. If, if it, Real faith changes us. From the inside out. It has to we, we're no more slaves of sin, but we're slaves of, of righteousness. So we our works matter because they corroborate our faith. But today we learn another lesson and that is that our money matters. Because the how we use our money also corroborates our faith. Verses eleven through twelve, Jesus goes on to say this. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, if you've not been faithful in this temporary money of this world, who in the world will ever entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? You see, what you and I have on this earth, our money, our land, our possessions, our cars, whatever we have, they're not ours they belong to god we we are the managers we are the stewards see the question is who are we serving what what are we serving ourselves are we using those things to to give ourselves the best uh temporary benefit here in in this temporary world or are we serving god are we investing that in the kingdom what does the use of our money say about our priorities. Jesus puts it this way in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, in the end, money provides a real test of where our heart is. Do we serve God or do we serve money? Are we using it to secure a temporary future Or are we using money to secure an eternal future? You see, one of those is driving us. Now listen, I'm not saying, as as believers here on this earth, there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with, with, you know, we have to pay bills, we have to have insurance, we have to have these types of things. and, And we need to plan for those things. But the fact is, one of those things is driving us. Our temporary future is driving us, or our eternal future is driving us. One of those is a priority. Which one is it? In today's parable, we are encouraged to be clever with the use of our money. That manager was commended for his cleverness. And what Jesus is saying is saying, you should be clever with your money, but to be clever in God's kingdom means using your money in a way that brings eternal benefits, not just temporary benefits. You see, you and I have to understand that according to the Bible, this world, the ways of this world and the ways of the kingdom of God are completely opposite to one another. I want you to listen as we close to the words of of Arthur Pink. He said this, these orders, and what he means here is the, the order of the world versus the order of God's kingdom, are diametrically opposed to one another. The one commands you to walk by faith, the other to walk by sight. One commands you to be humble, the other to be proud. The one to set your affections on things above, the other to set them on the things of the earth. The one says to be careful for nothing, the other one To be full of anxiety. The one to be content with such things as you have. The other one says to enlarge your desires. One says be ready to distribute. The other be ready to withhold. One says to look at the things of others. The other one says you need to look at your own things. One says to seek happiness in the creator. The other to seek happiness in the creature. Is it not plain? There is no serving to such masters. You see the same is true for how we use our money. The unbelieving world uses it to secure temporary benefits. Kingdom believers use it to secure eternal benefits. The question today is what are you doing with your money? You know it's really what what an amazing thing. I, I was thinking that there's times where uh, people in the world today get stock tips, and they know that a stock is going to go up, and somebody says, hey, buy this stock, and and they do, and they make a lot of money, and and that's illegal to do. But I can tell you this morning that that God is giving us a tip. God is revealing to believers an, an incredible tip, an incredible truth that unbelievers don't know about. And he's saying, hey, I have given you money, and you can use this money here in this, in this temporary world, you can use this temporary money, and you can use it as a means to secure eternal reward. Be clever. Don't, use, don't, don't just be clever over here in the world's ways. Be clever in the kingdom ways, and use your money to secure eternal, eternal benefits. That's a pretty good offer. The question is, are we shrewdly taking advantage of it? Next week, we'll be looking at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's in the same chapter, Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, um, if you if you want to look ahead. Uh, once again, thanks for listening, and have a blessed day.